We're starting a new series tonight called Praying Together. I actually, this is on, I actually think that it's a continuation of the series we've just done. Can you remember what it was called? Everyone, everybody, always pray together. It just fits, doesn't it? Except we're going to spend a new series on this one, so we're inviting you to pray. I guess if I went round and asked you, would you like to be a better prayer? You would say, yes. If only, yes. Somehow we confuse prayer and we make it very complicated. And there's a devil out there that keeps it complicated and lets us know that there's certain right ways to pray and we can't do it because we're not good enough. We've got to know the language, we've got to do all this, but I tell you, it's all a lie. Praying is just talking to God. God created us to pray. I actually believe that prayer is something that's universal. You know, I once went for treatment for a medico for a a shoulder and a neck. And I've got my back to this doctor. And I suddenly, there's silence. And I say, what are you doing? And she says, I'm praying. That freaked me out because she wasn't a believer. I changed doctors after that. But people pray. And if you travel around the world, this is some, these are some of the sights and scenes that you will find. Not this, this is genuine door of hope praying. But let's just look at some of these photos. Well, there we are, there we are. You see, all over the world, different people praying. Hands like this for some of them, but on their knees, different ways, hands up high, falling down, they're praying, they're praying. And uh, I don't believe they're necessarily praying to the same God as me. But you see, because God has made us so that we pray or talk to someone or something greater or bigger than ourselves, we need to create gods. And so we talk to this God we create. And I want to share with you tonight that I don't believe in that kind of praying. I may not believe in the same God as you or in the same God that many people pray to. But the reality of the need to pray is ingrained in us by the creator who longs for us to communicate so that we can listen, so that there's a listening one, so that we can communicate and talk all about it. I want to go back to the Old Testament. There's a prayer in the Old Testament. It's over here. It's called the Shema. Now, you've just had a little bit of a video. Are you, are you prepared to say it with me like a Hebrew would say it? You want to do that? Okay. Stand up. Stand up. Put your right hand over your eye. Right hand, over, right hand over your right eye. You know which is your right eye? Now you've still got one eye that you can look out. 
right hand, right eye. Let's read it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What a lovely bunch of Jews we got. Sit down. <laughs> that was how they, that's, that's how they pray these days with this prayer. I'll talk a little bit more about why they do that later. But this is in the older part of our Bible, quite early on, when uh, Moses is getting the people ready to go it alone without him with a new leader. And he teaches them, and he says, this is what I want you to say over and over and over. Now, unfortunately, most of the people today have reduced it just to six Hebrew words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's what it's been reduced to. I want to just share what each of those words mean and then talk a little bit about the expanded Shema and then look at the Lord's Prayer so that we can learn to pray as it is in the Word of God. Shema o Israel, Shema. We've heard that word, hear, obey, listen. But who is required to do the listening in this verse? It's not God, it's Israel. Israel. Who's Israel? Now, most of you probably think it's a little country over there in the Middle East with a place called Jerusalem, a place called Tel Aviv, and some of these other things where there's fighting all the time, and that's Israel. But the name Israel goes right, 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 right back to the first book in the Bible called Genesis, which just basically means the first book in the Bible, beginnings. The Hebrews were really clever with names. What is this prayer called? Shema, because that's the first word of the prayer. What's the name of the first book in the Bible? Genesis. What does it mean? Beginnings, the first one, in the beginning. So that's just by the way. So we're going to go back there. And there was this man called Jacob. Anyone heard of him? Jacob was one of these patriarchs, older guy, and he'd been a deceiver, pretty deceitful. And he, uh, well, he deceived his brother out of a birthright, he stole the inheritance and he had to run away. And just when he was coming back to meet his brother, he had a session with God in the desert, a time with God. And God came as a wrestler. I think I'd give up straight away. But Jacob held on and he wouldn't let God go until he felt blessed. And so after that, God said to him, no longer will you be called Jacob, but you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and overcome. And so the descendants of Jacob, whose grandfather was Abraham, by the way, so there is a family connection, the descendants of Jacob are called Israelites. Israelites simply mean the people of God. So it could be saying, here, people of God. Who are the people of God today? You and me and anyone who believes 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called the people of God. I mean, sometimes we call ourselves believers or Christians, but what a great thing to be called people of God, the family of God. So family of God, people of God, listen, listen, because this is something that I want you to know. The Lord is our God. Now, if a, in the Hebrew, the word Lord is Yahweh. You've heard that one before? Yahweh. Now, a Jew would never say that name. Or a follower of the Old Testament faith, even to this day, would never say Yahweh. They would say Adonai. And so you'd come along a sentence, and it would be something like this. Um, Shema Israel. We would read Yahweh Elohim. But they would read Shema Israel Adonai Elohim. They wouldn't say the name because they had done something with that name which was not intentional. That was the name that God gave when he introduced himself to them and said way back, I am your God. I am alive. I am living. He revealed himself as the ever-present, eternal God of all competence, all greatness, everything they ever needed. He said, here I am. But they took that name and they put it out there so that no one could touch it. Do you know, even if they wrote that name, Yahweh, they had a special pen all set out, Separate, and that pen was only ever used to write Yahweh. And if the pen wore out, it got a burial. That's how sacred and hallowed and holy they had made that. So God became very distant for them. So they called him Adonai. In your older part of the Bible, if you see the word Lord written all in capitals, that's the word Yahweh. You got it? Yahweh. So they said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, is our God. The people of God are to remember that the God who revealed himself by name is ours, our God. He's pleased to be said, to be called our God. He's not ashamed, one of the writers said in the New Testament, to be called our God. Isn't that great? The creator, the amazing, amazing God isn't ashamed of us. He says, okay, you can call me God, our God. The Lord, and this word is Adonai, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. Now this word one was meant to be one in unity one in diversity. But over the years, the Hebrew people, then the Jewish nation, and in Judaism today, it came to be retracted down to meaning singular. Here, O Israel, our God is one singular. And that means that every day when this is reinforced over and over and over into Jewish children, in the mornings when you get up, when you walk into the school, when it's over your door, you say this prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They are basically saying, 
God cannot have a son called Jesus. That's why it's hard for them to come to know Jesus because this is part of their statement of faith. It's become a political statement. It's become a statement of survival against the destruction over the years. It's become a pride. We, our God is one. And uh, so it's difficult. And it's only by revelation as we pray for them, as God reveals his son, as he did to Paul. Remember Paul on the Damascus Road? That was a mighty revelation because he'd been saying every day since he could speak, all day, every day, morning and night and throughout the day, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. When we say it, we had to go back to that original meaning. Hear, O Israel, people of God, the Lord, Yahweh, is our God. The Lord is one. One whose name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One in diversity, one in unity. We are one congregation here. We are one body here. That's the fullness of of the meaning. So this is something good for us to say. It's a reminder. But as you can see, there's a little bit extra on this um, verse, on this prayer that they were to pray over and over again, regularly, whenever they heard, or whenever they woke up, whenever they went to bed, this is what they had to say. And uh, I'm just skipping some slides. The Shema, as it is today, has been reduced to six words in Hebrew. But this is how Jesus said it, and it was said to him in the New Testament, and how it was originally said it was to have love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And that rest of those verses are in Deuteronomy. When it came to Jesus' time, they'd already added another little phrase. Do you know what the added phrase was in the New Testament? Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, strength, and... Can you remember? Love your neighbor as yourself. The summary of the whole law. And that's what we are to remember in prayer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I'm going to go to the continuation of Deuteronomy 6, this passage, to show you what can happen if we take words, learn them by rote, and they become part of our culture, part of our tradition, and not something in our hearts. So from the Jewish culture, we go on from these verses in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. I'm assuming it will come up. Take to heart these instructions which I charge you this day. Impress them on your children. Recite them when you stay at home and when you are away. When you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them serve you as a symbol on your forehead. Inscribe them as doorposts on your house and on your gates. This next picture will show you where this actually took the Jewish people. Uh, On the left-hand side there, see the man with a little box, a leather box, 
and in it is written the Shema. It's called a phylactery. And he put it on there as a reminder that his heart or his head or his thinking was to be controlled by God. And then there was another box that he put here, and that was level with his heart. And it was strapped. I think you can see that. Right down his arm, right down to his fingers, so that his actions were also impacted by this saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And he was to say those, and he was to impress them. But that became a piece of, what do you call it? A fashion statement, a piece of tradition, something that didn't necessarily touch the heart. I'm sure it did for some, but not all of them. Next to him, you have a young boy praying. What's he doing? We know he's saying the Shema because he's got his right hand over his right eye. That was two twofold reason. We're not really sure when the tradition started, but some of it was to blot out the mess of the world as you said this. Remember that God is for you. God is the one you love. Blot out this here. Or it could have been because... I'm humbled before my God. So it had those two meanings. So here we have a ritual, here we have a practice that was reduced to a custom or a tradition. You've got that? And unfortunately, that's also what happened to the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Before we go there, let me just tell you a little story about this boy with his hand over there. After World War II, a lot of uh, Jewish children were being looked for by some of the rabbis. They were put in orphanages for their protection. And uh, so some rabbis went around trying to find Hebrew children. The orphanage parents wouldn't let them have the children because there were no documents. Where do documents go for refugees and in war? Of course you haven't got documents. And so there was a famous Lithuanian rabbi who went into some of these orphanages and he would start to say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And the children would hear it. They would go like this and start crying for their mother. And the man would say, the rabbi would say, Hear, are the Jewish children. So this cultural practice was ingrained in them. Well, what the Jewish people did to something which was meant to serve them well, we have also done with the Lord's Prayer. Reciting a prayer is not bad. Learning a prayer by rote is not bad. It can be a positive reminder, especially the Shema, of who our God is and what we are to do and be lovers of God and lovers of people. But it also can be just meaningless prattle, empty words said at the right thing. It can be cultural and it can define us in a cultural way. But even so, it's, I'm not saying that we shouldn't recite things. We should know and understand what we're doing. So did Jesus ever wear one of these leather boxes for lettering? You probably think, of course he didn't, but I'm suggesting that he did. What was his nationality? 
He was Jewish. What was his custom? It said he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He wouldn't have been allowed in there if he didn't practice the cultural norm. So he probably had one. But I'm pretty sure that he knew the dangers. Look at this verse from Matthew 23, verses 5 to 7, where he starts the whole chapter saying, Listen to what the Pharisees say. They're saying the truth, but don't you ever do what they do. That's how he started the chapter in 23. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Listen, they've got the truth, but they're not practicing it. Now, wouldn't it be sad if I said of our senior minister, listen to what Steve does, but don't you ever, ever do what he does? That's not the way we live. I can say to you, listen to Steve and imitate the way he lives. He's a follower of Jesus. And so we have these religious leaders, and this is what Jesus says about them. Everything they do is done for people to see. Look at me, look at me, look at me. My phylactery is wide, it's big, it's bigger than yours, it's greater than yours, it's got a little bit of decoration, it's good. And they make tassels on their garments. The Shema also goes on to have some other verses, and it says, put some blue threads on the bottom of your robe as a reminder to say this and that God is with you as you walk. But they said, you have made a fashion statement about these things instead of them being a living reminder of who you are and who your God is. And so Jesus wasn't against them. He was saying, don't do it because to be seen, don't make it as a fashion statement. And then he added in Matthew 6 and verse 5, where it says, and when you pray, don't be like hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, to be seen by others. Look at me, I'm a better prayer than you. You know, I always get the collie wobbles and get a little bit nervous when I'm asked to talk about prayer. I'm not an expert on prayer. I wish I could pray more than I do. I wish I found it something that was a natural and beautiful part of my life. I too struggle. And I too sometimes have to be disciplined and say, come on, Sandy, you know, get yourself by the scruff of the neck. You know that this is a prayer time. You know that. And it's when I'm by myself in secret, that's when it's the hardest time. I love praying with people. I love prayer meetings. I love prayer gatherings. But sometimes it's hard too. So I'm, I'm saying that uh, I'm not the expert, but I'm a learner and I want to keep learning. So what did the disciples notice when they saw Jesus at prayer? Yes, he probably had this and he had his arm probably all bound up with pretty cheap leather from the floor, from the carpenter shop, I'm not sure. But he did it. He prayed. But they noticed something. So this is what they said. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, they've noticed that his prayer life is different. They too 
would have had prayers taught to them as children, prayers for all day long, prayers for every occasion. They too would have known this, but they knew that there was something different with the way Jesus prayed. And this is the prayer he taught them. You okay to read this one? You can read it from the screen or from over here. We're going to be referring to this. Let's stand up and read this one together, okay? Read it from the screen. I didn't hear you last time. I only heard myself. So see what happens this time. Our Father. Okay, thank you. Who would know it off by heart in another version? Who's going to be actually willing to learn it so that by the end of our series that's part of your prayer life as well? I invite you to do that. It's not a big challenge. This prayer, if you were my age and even younger, was prayed daily in schools. It was prayed at public functions. It's prayed, it was prayed in parliaments. Nearly everything opened with the Lord's Prayer. It became commonplace cultural stuff without necessary meaning. And that's a danger. But it's also part of our problem when we throw it out and say, oh, it's just a prayer to recite. I believe if it was important enough for Jesus to teach his disciples this, it's important enough for us. Believe it or not, it's not a mild, inoffensive, little vanilla-coated word system put together so that we feel good at the end of it. It's not like that at all. It is actually subversive. It's offensive. It's upsetting. If you do not know our Father. So politicians today don't want to say this in Parliament anymore. I understand. Because this is a political statement. This is a kingdom prayer for God's kingdom. This is an economic policy. And this is also a social policy that believes in a world to come rather than just now. And so if you're standing there and there are people around you saying, our Father who art in heaven, and you do not have a relationship with this Father, how offensive is that? Our Father in heaven. So already the first part of the Lord's Prayer is talking about relationship. The same as that little word over there, Lord, Yahweh, when God revealed himself in the older part of the testament and when God revealed himself to us as the father who loves this world and sent his son so that we could have relationship and belong to his family so we are family our father who art in heaven heaven wherever the heavens are heaven came down onto earth through Jesus and today we are part of this cosmic spiritual reality which is moving throughout the world, shaping people's lives, changing kingdoms, changing people. We are part of something big. 
Do you really believe what was sung tonight? If the church prayed, people would change. Our city would change. Do you believe it? Sometimes I don't even know that we know the words we're singing. But that was what you sang. And that is the power of this prayer. Our Father, our Father, you have come into our lives and made an incredible difference. Hallowed be your name. Now, the translators have problems with this word because there's no English word that totally suffices. What did the Jewish people do? They made the name so sacred, so holy, so distant that they won't even say it. And yet we're allowed to call God the creator, the greatest God, the only true God. We're allowed to call him Father. Father. And we are to hallow his name, to make it sacred and holy. But it goes wider than that. You are my family. This is the family of God. And our family is a holy family. It's a sacred family. It's a togetherness. And the one that I call Father and you call Father invites us to treat each other with sacredness, reverence. No putting down, no bullying, no esteeming beyond. But together we are brothers and sisters. Jesus says, I am not ashamed to be called your brother. God says, I'm not ashamed to be called your father. Jesus says that. Now, doesn't that make you excited? Doesn't that make it just does something to me? And then we pray. May your kingdom come. Now, can you imagine in Parliament actually praying this and meaning it? Lord, may your kingdom come. Forget about Australia or New Zealand or the UK or America. May your kingdom come, because one day we believe that the kingdom of God and his Messiah Jesus, King Jesus, will have every kingdom honouring the King of Kings. The enemies will become his footstool. He will be exalted. His reign will dethrone all powers, all authorities, all kingdoms, all politics. So this is... And isn't it? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your reign be done. King Jesus, overturn empires. Destroy anything that opposes you. Rule everywhere. That's what we pray. Your kingdom come. I pray this over and over and over for my family who do not know Jesus and for some of my friends. I say, Lord, let the rule of Jesus come into his life. Your kingdom come in this situation. Because sometimes I haven't got words anymore. And I know that the kingdom of God is powerful. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is really saying, Lord, whatever you dream or desire, may your beauty and mystery and power and righteousness and love and grace, may all that stuff that's in heaven be on earth. And where does it start? Among the sacredness of our family who call ourselves our God. Let your will be done among us. Let there be love shed abroad. Let there be kindness. Let the fruit of the Spirit come so that we live God's desire out on this earth. Isn't that wonderful? That's great. That's God's will for us. God's will. 
is that you enjoy him, glorify him, love him with all your heart and your soul and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. May his dreams come true. Give us this day our daily bread. There's the economic policy. Every good gift comes from God. And what we as believers of the family of God need to learn over and over and over again is that we depend on God, who's the giver of all gifts. He's the one that gives us jobs. He's the one that gives us gifts, intelligence. He's the one that has given us the ability to read or write or to do this. He is the one that gives. He's the one that takes away. And so we have to learn enough is enough. What's daily bread? What I need for today. But what do we do? We store up for tomorrow. And we don't even enjoy what we've got today. So be generous and sharing. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. And this is the beauty of this kingdom of God. We run around as forgiven people. Forgiven for the lies, for the deceit, for the stuff that we say and we don't mean. For when we lose our tempers, for the stealing, the thieving, the dishonesty, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, all that stuff. Forgive me, Lord, for I'm a sinner and I have not come anywhere close to what you want in this life. Forgive me. I confess my sin. And I know that you have died for my sin and I can be free, free of shame, free of guilt, freedom, the greatest gift. And because I'm free and because people in God's kingdom and people in this world are created in the image of God and have a sacredness about them, I too can forgive. And the extent of my forgiveness is always worked in how well I forgive others. Forgive my sins. Forgive those who are debted. Those who've mucked up for me. Those that have hurt me. Those that have abused me. Those that do the bad things, even though I think they're worse than me. The truth is, we all deserve to be cast off from God. But he invites us. He invites us. Forgive as he forgives. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We have an enemy. That's why it's hard to pray. He doesn't like it. When God's people start praying and believing stuff like this, the devil trembles. And he says, watch out, Lancest, and they're out to get you. True? The devil hates it. That's why it's hard to pray. Because I don't feel like it, don't feel motivated, I'm tired, and yet I can go on social media. I don't want to do this, but I can do that. So the devil just keeps on with that. We have an evil one who is to be overcome with the power of the kingdom. So in conclusion, as we pray this, we've got two prayers that I've talked about tonight. The Shema, the Shema, which is the summary of the law, the Old Testament about loving God, about loving our neighbour, about remembering that our God, the God of the Old Testament, is the God that we serve today. We've got the Lord's Prayer, and we're invited to align our lives with God so that we seek first his kingdom and pray your kingdom come. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive as we forgive. 
So this prayer reminds us about who we are, children of God, who our God is, our Father, who this Father is, he has a kingdom, and one day this kingdom will destroy all other kingdoms. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, our Father, that you have entered our lives and changed us to the extent that we don't need to be ashamed of who our God is and who our King is. May we learn to be content with who we are, who you are, and what you give to us on a daily basis. And Lord, for each one of us here, keep us from temptation. Remind us that there's an evil one out to get us. But to God be the glory, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.